Hi, my name is Katie Malone. And I'm Brendan, the husband. And you're listening to The Little Flock, the podcast that offers practical insights about living a counterculture of goodness, truth and beauty in a world of increasingly hostile secularism and indifference. So, if you're looking to learn from two imperfect followers of Christ about how to live like the wheat amongst the darnel, this is definitely the podcast for you. Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Little Flock. It's great to be back. I had a little brain fade there, a little bit of a brain fog, (laughs) and I was about to say the name of another podcast that you're not welcome back to. Too many podcasts. (laughs) So uh, yeah, it is good to be back. This is our final episode for the year, Katie. Yeah, I can't believe it's December already. I know, crazy, eh? It feels like that's a thing that um, the older you get, the more often you say, I can't believe it's this time of the year. I say it every month. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's almost over. We're in the season of Advent and it's only a few days until we hit Christmas. Yeah. So uh, not long to go. Well, a few days. Couple of weeks, really, isn't it? Until we, we don't like Christmas. to talk about how few days there are yeah. between now and Christmas. You can hear the dulcet um, tones, the warning siren song of Mariah Carey, playing everywhere you go, the malls, the supermarkets. It's out there now. So we wish you a Mariah Carey. Hands Christmas. up if you've been whammed already. <laughs> whammed, I got yeah. whammed by my children. On the oh, second day of December. It's evil, man. It's like, how dare you? It's evil. <laughs> The devil works. He is amongst us. <laughs> it is music. Um, so, yeah, anyway, uh, it is. We're, we're almost there. And today we've got a, a final end of year episode. That's the sound of the local fire siren you can hear in the background. As the, our children used to call it, the fire simon. The fire simon, the volley fire brigade. So this is the final episode for the year. And this one is another special one. We've got an interview with Nikki Lysart all the way from Australia. And we're going to be talking about how to have those difficult conversations with your kids. So... Uh, this is definitely going to be something that uh, is well worth tuning in for if you have children or you are going to have children or would like to have children, you're definitely going to want even to tune in. Even if you in. just have difficult conversations. Yeah, yeah, even if you just have difficult conversations, well <laughs> worth tuning in for. Before we get into that, though, and before we introduce the conversation with Nikki, uh, let's just get through a couple of quick business items as per usual. If you want to send us your questions to answer on future episodes of The Little Flock, that's something we normally do on episodes, the last two. This one and the previous one have been interviews, so breaking the mould a little bit. But uh, someone sent us an email about a week ago about a really good question that we're going to tackle next year when we're back after the Christmas break. And if you want to send us your questions, you can do that by going to lifenet.org.nz and you'll see at the top of the page there's a little banner button that you can click on to send us your questions. Fill in the form, totally anonymous if you want it to be, and we will discuss your question or a topic if you'd like us to talk about a topic as well. While you're there, if you want to support the work that we do, you can do that by becoming a supporter of LifeNet. Now, LifeNet is the ministry that we run. And uh, if you want to do that and you're based in New Zealand, all of the details are found at lifenet.org.nz. And if you're in New Zealand and you do that, you will be able to claim back on your annual tax return your donations because we are a registered charity. Last but not least, some exciting news. There's a brand new project that we are launching in 2024, and this brand new project is called The Forge. The Forge is a brand new website platform where lives will be shaped in the fires of goodness, truth, and beauty, and it is going to be the new home 
of the little flock. That's where we're going to be from now on. And there's going to be a whole lot of other great content on there as well. We're not going to tell you any more right now, but go to theforge.org.nz and there's a little space there for you to leave your email address and you'll be first to find out when the Ooh, fires are lit. Yes, VOP. <laughs> Become a VOP. <laughs> so, yeah, Katie, do you have anything else to say before we introduce Nikki? No, just get straight into it. It's always the way, isn't it? I talk always too much. Always ask me if there's anything else for me to say. <laughs> <laughs> and Katie always looks at me awkwardly and says, get on with it. So without any further ado, folks, let's have this conversation with Nikki Lysart about how to have difficult conversations with your kids. Oh, hopefully it won't be a difficult conversation of its own. Boom boom. All right. So, Nikki, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? My name's Nikki. I am a mum and a wife and an educator. Um, I've been teaching for well over 20 years now um, and have most recently been an assistant principal in religious education. I also did a short stint working um, in the area of relationships and sexuality and um, mostly worked with primary school students on the area of puberty and also worked a lot with parents as well on, um, I guess, how to navigate some of the tricky uh, times that happen as our kids grow and they go from being our little kids to teenagers and into adulthood and um, how to manage that, I guess. Um, we want to talk about today this topic of having challenging conversations with your kid and I want uh, uh, kids, sorry. And I want to talk uh, specifically, you just highlighted something about puberty, which I hadn't even sort of really thought about when preparing for today's show, but that's a really important area that often gets forgotten about. So maybe we could start there. Um, because we we tend to hear a lot today about sex ed and having the sexuality and relationships conversation. But um, we forget the puberty one, right? And that's that's actually a really almost a um, a soft sell, easy intro into a more challenging conversation, right? Absolutely. Um, I think surprisingly, like I have been a teacher for twenty years, have always been proactive in talking to my students about these topics. But interestingly, when it came to having these conversations with my own kids, um, it. I balked at it, actually. Um, I was like, I'm happy to tell everybody else's kids about what's going on, but when it comes to having these conversations with my own, so that was probably one of my big learnings as a parent um, when they started to transition and started to go through those changes about how to have those conversations. So, um, yeah, you might think that they're easy. It's a soft place to start, but it's not necessarily... (laughs) Do you have a recommended way to start that conversation in particular? Yeah, so I think I'm very much guided by the kids. So mm. I think they will ask questions. Mm. They hear things at school. They hear, um, see things on social media. They see things in TV shows and they have questions. And I think I'm very much guided by the questions that the kids ask um, and that kind of gives me an understanding of where they're at um, emotionally, where they're at in their mental understanding, um, and kind of where to start the pitch, if that mm, makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I always say that, you know, like the way a prep student or a five-year-old might ask the question, how are babies made, is a very different question to how a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old is asking those questions, or even a 10-year-old. So you've really got to gauge the maturity level and what exactly is it that kids are asking. 
what do you think it is that makes these conversations so challenging for us? I mean, we've all gone through it, but it's still hard to kind of talk about. So, well, I asked my kids this morning, I said, I'm going to do this podcast and um, what do you reckon? Like, what do you think is the best way or what's the advice I should be giving to parents? And they, they said, don't be awkward and don't be embarrassing. <laughs> don't be weird, mum. <laughs> don't be weird. <laughs> Um, don't be closed off. Watch your body language. Be open. Yeah, I think that's what it's all about. It's about not being awkward, being matter of fact, having mm. a laugh. Like I'm a big one about having a laugh and going, oh, it's a bit gross, isn't it? But, you know, that's just part of what it is. And when you're talking about, you know, further on down the track and you're talking about sex and things like that, Again, having a laugh about it and when you start the puberty conversation, I think it's really important that you talk about the fact that our bodies have been created by God Mm. for a purpose. Mm. Um, We have been created by God to be in relationship with other people and one of those most important relationships that you're going to have is, you know, if you decide to get married and if you decide to have kids, Um, then the way our bodies have been created is about allowing that relationship to bring about life. Mm -hmm. And for us to bring about life, uh, we have to understand how our bodies work and how they meet match together because they match together perfectly according to God's design. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it's about having that language. I think sometimes as parents we go straight into the practicals, um, but we don't explain the why. We don't explain how we've been created, why we've been created, and why this is such a special and sacred thing, I guess, Mm -hmm. that we embark on. Um, Not only sex, but also just those changes that our body goes through, like why why do our bodies change? Why aren't we born just being able to do that straight away? Well, it's because we're not designed to do that when we're kids you know Mm, we're meant to be kids for a purpose and as our bodies change and our brains develop then yeah uh, that's when the maturity comes and we're able to make decisions around um, those kinds of things that we're going to do what do you think classifies a conversation as a challenging conversation obviously i mean everyone's go-to one probably is sexuality related stuff but there are other challenging conversations, but what, what what makes a conversation in the family home or that family dynamic a challenging conversation rather than just uh, maybe one that takes a bit of work or effort, do you think? I think a challenging conversation are the ones that you avoid. So if you avoid <laughs> talking to your kids about drugs and alcohol, then for you that's a challenging conversation. If you're avoiding talking to your kids about social media, then for you that's a challenging conversation. So... Um, I think challenging conversations come in lots of different way, lots of different packages. Mm. Um, talking to kids and talking to parents, um, some of the most challenging conversations would be around things like social media, um, like gaming, like puberty, relationships, uh, mental health, pornography, um, scary w- real world events. So, you know, like, the war that's happening in the Middle East. Like for some people, that's a challenging conversation to have with their kids and they're not sure how to navigate that. Mm. Um, self-harm, um, schooling, like you name it, drugs, alcohol. There are so many conversations as parents that 
we're having with our kids that either we might find challenging or they might find challenging. Mm. So I think that's the thing. It's such a broad topic, isn't it? Do you think there's a um, a certain projection here as well that we can get into as parents where we don't ask challenging questions or, or have challenging conversations because maybe we haven't got ideas settled in our own head? Do you know what I mean? There's a sense Absolutely. of projecting onto our kids our own fears. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think parents don't have these conversations because, well, they're scared of what their kids are going to say. You know, they're scared of the reaction or unsure of the, not so much scared maybe, but unsure of what reaction they're going to get from their kids. Um, I think there is this real um, mindset that teenagers and um, our tweens don't want to hear from us. But research shows us time and time again that our young people want to know what we as their parents think. Mm, uh, they might pretend that they don't and they might screw <laughs> up the nose and walk away and go, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. But they actually want to know and they care what we yeah. think about these things. Um, and when their kids are in primary school, we are the loudest voice in their life. We are the people that they listen to more than anybody else. When they go off into high school, uh, that peer voice gets a lot louder, social media voice, the world voice, society gets louder. And if we haven't embedded in our kids a firm foundation of what we think on the important topics, then they're going to be hearing all these other other ideas and um, theories and not really know where we stand. So as parents, we need to know where we stand. And if we don't, be honest with our kids and say, well, I'm not actually really sure what I think about that. Um, I'm I'm learning, I'm um, listening to ideas from lots of people and, you know, what is it you think? So having that dialogue, I think it's important to communicate with our kids and to have dialogue, not just one way conversation where I'm going to talk and you're going to listen and what I say is right and you're going to learn from me because I'm the wise one. We can learn so much from our kids. Like I've learned so much from my kids as they've gotten older about um, a whole range of hot topics that are facing them in in society. So um, you're, my answer is, you know, you don't have to have all the answers. Um, <laughs> be honest with the kids that you don't have all the answers, but do some research. Like I follow so many parenting pages on social media. I listen to podcasts. I have my ears and my eyes open um, to find out about what's going on in current culture and how I can talk to kids about that. Um, And not just following people who I agree with. It's not just about, yes, we share the same ideals and the same values and the same morals, but Sometimes I follow people who I don't necessarily agree with because I want that perspective as well and I want to be able to think about what's my response to that. So can you talk about a time where you've had a really challenging conversation? might be the most challenging one you've ever had maybe. <laughs> um, no, not to put you on the spot or anything. <laughs> <laughs> my kids said, please don't talk about us. Oh. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. We'll pretend this is someone else's children. (laughs) I think there's like not just one big conversation because for me, 
the way we operate with our kids is that we have lots of small ongoing conversations with them consistently so that there's not that big clangor that comes that nobody's expecting and everybody's left reeling and no one knows what to do with it. Um, So I think that's one of the keys too, like don't try and think of it as having the talk. It's not Mm. about having the talk. It's about having lots of ongoing little conversations with your kids. Um, But I think sometimes as the kids are getting older, like our kids are 14, 16 and 18, um, you know, there's conversations around work ethic, um, attitudes at Mm. school, uh, relationships that they're starting to get into. Sometimes the challenging conversations I find are about what their friends are doing. Because, mm. oh, yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, our kids are pretty good, you know, like we're pretty open with them about all all things um, and they're pretty open with us as well. Like that's not to say they don't have things that they don't tell us, but um, I think a lot of things they do come to us. It may not be in the moment. It may be after the fact, but they do come to us and and want to chat about those things. Um, But, yeah, like it is, it's about, oh, I'm 16 and all my mates are are having a drink and smoking marijuana and I'm going to this party and I've got to make decisions about what I am and aren't going to do in that situation. Yeah. Or it's about, you know, like I'm going to school and I'm really not liking it and I'm struggling with a teacher and I'm losing my cool and how do I manage that? Or, you know, my one of the friends in my group is 14 and she's having sex with an 18-year-old. Like how do I manage that? Yeah. Um, you know, even self-harm, you know, is so prevalent for mm. our kids. Um, so many of our young people engaging in self-harm. Um, and how do you manage that? How do you help them support their friends? You know, their friends are going through a hard time. How do you help them help their friends? Um, so I feel like parenting is just a series of <laughs> uncomfortable, challenging <laughs> conversations. And I think you just got to get used to having the, the challenging conversations and being okay with that and asking the questions. Um, that's probably one of my big tips is is ask questions, Um, get them talking. You know, you want to hear what they are trying to express, Um, making space for that. Um, Yeah, allowing time in your daily schedule for catch-ups. And quite often it's it's when you least (laughs) have the time (laughs) to do that. Um, You know, like I'll be sitting, you know, done all the housework, done all my schoolwork, just sitting down to relax and someone will pop on the couch next to you and you're like, hello. (laughs) (laughs) What happens if you have a moment where you go, gosh, I should have had a conversation that was a bit um, challenging six months ago. Mm. You know, the the longer that goes on, the worse things can get. How, How do you recover? What do you do in that situation, do you think? It's never too late to start having these conversations. You might, as a parent, have to work a little bit harder. Um, If you haven't kind of built into your family rituals and routines, conversation and relationship building and investing in your kids, if you haven't done that at an early age, it is a bit harder to try and establish that 
once they're high, once they're in high school, once they're mm. teenagers. But it's not impossible. Um, it is about just putting yourself in their space, I guess. Um, one of my good friends, Kim Keedy, talks about the art of lingering. <laughs> so finding excuses to go into their bedrooms, which are usually their safe havens, where it's like, I've closed my door, nobody come in. But, you know, going in to say goodnight and then just lingering to see if the conversation comes, you know, mm -hmm. like maybe tidying up a few books or picking up some dirty clothes or just finding excuses to be in their space. Mm -hmm. um, I also think car rides are yeah. a really captive audience. great yeah. way to have these <laughs> conversations. Yeah. Um, you don't have to look at each other. They yeah. can't go anywhere. <laughs> Yeah, you can just turn the music uh, up loud when it gets awkward, and then turn yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody have a little think. So <laughs> I think it's never too late, and I think that's just requires us then as parents to be brave, right? Mm. Where we've got to mm. just say, "This is what I'm noticing. This is what I'm seeing. Let's have a conversation about yeah. that." Yeah. Um, and don't leave it because the longer that it goes, the harder it gets, right? And you might not get a response the first time. Yeah. You know, like you might get, you know, faced with that brick wall and they are like, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. You're, you know, they might come at you with a little bit of teenage angst. Mm -hmm. um, but just to gently, gently say, well, um, I am concerned about this and when you're ready to talk about it, I want to talk to you about this. So yeah. giving them a little bit of that pushback of we are going to talk about it, you let mm. me know when you're ready. <laughs> So you've mentioned a few um, sort of hot topic issues there. What would be some of the main conversations, like if you had to prioritise, what would be some of the main things you'd keep an eye out for? And, oh, you've talked about like waiting for kids to ask questions and stuff, but at the same time you don't want to wait until they ask questions and then leave it too late. So <laughs> what kind of stage would you be saying have these conversations? As a child protection officer, um, one of the the big things that I'm really passionate about is using correct body name parts and talking to our kids about um, consent and body autonomy and how to protect themselves. So I started that stuff right from when my kids were toddlers, the right kinds of names, body part names, um, talking to them about, you know, no one's allowed to touch your private parts or make you touch theirs. Um, so just that really basic protection um, con concepts, I suppose. Yeah. So that's probably one of the first conversations I would go down the line of from when they're really little. Like our kids went to daycare, so I wanted to make sure that they they knew that stuff very early on. Um, and obviously age-appropriate language, you know, when they're little you talk about, you know, use very different language to when they're older. But I think that whole protective behaviours and consent um, it's just a huge topic that we talk to the kids about from when they're toddlers all the way through to when they're young adults and beyond. Um, and just the way the, the scenarios that you talk about change. So that's probably a big one. I find kids are pretty inquisitive. They will ask questions, but if they don't, like you can always ask them questions about, so... You know, I heard on the radio or I saw on social media that somebody was talking about this. Have you heard about that? What do you think about that? Um, so some of those questions. I think relationships is a huge one. Um, and starting with friendships. 
you know, so we talk to our kids, we coach our kids around how to have appropriate friendships um, and then that snowballs into any romantic relationships that they might want to have. I think it's about instilling in the kids um, the dignity of the human person that, you know, we all have a dignity, we're all born in the image and likeness of God and we may not agree with some people and the way they choose to live their life, but ultimately we are called to treat one another with respect um, and we're called to to uphold their dignity um, in those interactions we have with them. Um, I think teaching the kids to be strong and brave. Uh, my, my eldest certainly has found this challenging. She is very outspoken in her beliefs. She's very articulate. Um, and she's had to learn how to have these conversations in a way that don't um, ostracize people. And I think for her, one of her big learnings as she went through high school was, I think she'd always been labeled like the quirky Catholic girl <laughs> who had these strong opinions. But by the time she graduated, there were so many of her peers that came up to her and said, you know what, we actually respect you for your beliefs. We respect you for the way that you haven't um, wavered from what you believe. And we respect the way that you've talked to us in a non-judgmental way and explained um, why you believe what you believe, even when we're screaming at you because we don't necessarily agree with you. Um, so I think that was a huge learning for her and really spoke to us about the kind of young woman that we have helped raise. That's an awesome testimony, mm. isn't it, to have? And uh, what a testament to what you guys have been doing in her life. Um, one of the things as you were speaking I was thinking of was we don't tend to think of some of the faith questions as uh, awkward or challenging conversations, but they are. Like when mm. a child asks, well, what about hell? What about heaven? Uh, you know, will everyone be there? And we have mm. some pretty clear beliefs about that as Christians. And it's not just a sort of, um, you know, everyone's there, it's just a happy fest and it's all nice and fluffy <laughs> and they're all angels. You know, there's some pretty important stuff that otherwise they get older, right? And that becomes, it just seems childish and they would, I would imagine I would certainly abandon a faith like that um, that just feels childish and simplistic. But it's also awkward to have some of those conversations, right? It is. Yep. And she, I think she was just, this is who I am. Mm. Um, the other two, not quite so much. I think, <laughs> you know, their friends definitely know that they go to youth group on Friday and they go to mass on a Sunday and they know some of their their core beliefs around their faith and around the way they choose to live their life. Um, and maybe as they get a little bit older, they'll get to speak into that a little bit more. Yeah. So I think Kaya in particular has chosen a few of the hot topic conversations to have as part of her year 11 and 12 um, studies, particularly mm -hmm. around abortion. You can imagine what a hot topic that is with <laughs> yeah. 15 and 16 and 17 year old girls. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she copped a lot of flack over that, but it, gee, it made her do her study and, and mm. work out what exactly is the truth and what she believes. We found that um, because obviously that's an area of interest for us and in the ministry work that I do, and it was one of the things we found really beneficial. And I remember seeing this some years ago as a piece of advice, but we were already doing it by then. Was they said involve your kids in your 
uh, activism or you're a postal at work, whatever it is, they shouldn't be just um, bystanders as you go off and do that. And so we go along to the March for Life each year and the kids have been coming with us since they're young. And that that it's almost like a, a shaping cauldron that has really helped them and to formulate and to recognise as well that mum and dad aren't kooks. That yeah. There's lots of people who <laughs> share these ideas and they, they, they have developed a certain courage as well in, Absolutely. in, in doing that. Yeah. yeah, I think it's important to, you know, if faith is something in your life that you are passionate about and um, both my husband and I have worked in youth ministry and um, have been actively involved in youth ministry for many, many years, uh, our kids have come along mm-hmm. and have been part of that. So for them that's just just what we do you know Mm. they go to youth group on a Friday they interact with people who you know have like opinions Mm. um, so that when they go back to school or go to their workplace or whatever it is and they're they're met with people who don't have those same opinions Mm. they are reminded that they're not weird that there (laughs) are other people who believe the same thing that they do yeah 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 so what do you uh, you've talked a little bit about making these conversations not as awkward. Um are there is there any more advice you'd give on that how to make these conversations go smoothly? Or? Um I think it's about creating space, holding mm-hmm. space and um being okay in the silence. Yeah. So just because you're not talking or they're not talking, that's okay. Sometimes you need processing time, they need processing time, so being okay with the silence. Um, this is a this one's a bit of a teacher one that we use as well as a parenting one, but it's about connect before correct. So if your kids or if our kids know that when they come to us with a problem, they're going to be met with a reaction, they're going to be met with, I'm in trouble, they're going to be met with, you know, why did you do that or just negativity they're less likely to come to us. So if we're about connecting with them before we head into the correction, then that sets us into a much um, deeper conversation and it allows that respectful dialogue to happen a little bit easier. One of my favourite parenting quotes is, um, I don't want my kids to ever be in a situation where they're in trouble or they're hurt or they're scared and they think, I can't call mum because I'm mm. going to be in trouble. Yeah, right. I yeah. want their first thought to be, I am in this place where I shouldn't be. I've done something I shouldn't have done. I need my mum. Yeah. Um, and so that's that really is one of my mantras. I don't want my kids to ever feel like they can't come to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a balancing, right? It's not to <laughs> say that, oh, that's fine. Whatever you've done is all good, you know, no worries. No, that's not what it's about. It's that balancing act of, okay, so tell me about why you've done that. Tell me about, you know, what's happened there. How are you feeling about that? Mm. Um, And then being able to move into that correction around, you know, what they could have done better. And sometimes asking them because they know. (laughs) They know when they've stuffed up and they know what they should have done and they they know what they're going to do the next time. So I think letting kids fail is also important as a mum. It's hard to watch them fail, but (laughs) letting them stuff up, letting them, um, you know, find themselves in a situation where they were like, oh, 
yeah. probably shouldn't have done that is also a great way for them to learn. I think we're dealing with teenagers and kids and their emotions is what regulates them. So if we think about the brain in its development, um, the brain isn't fully developed, the prefrontal cortex, until they're about 25. And up until then, they're really running on emotion. So helping the kids to name the emotion, this is right from toddlers, right from little ones all the way through, but you know, acknowledging the emotion, naming the emotion, um, and letting them know that those emotions are normal, it's okay to feel those emotions. Because I think sometimes our boys in particular have these big emotions, they don't know what to yep. do with them and they just push them down and they don't talk about it. Yep. Um, so helping them to talk about it. Wait for those big emotions to pass before having a conversation. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's like with the toddler. When a toddler's in a full meltdown and having a tantrum, you can't rationalise with, with that child. Yeah. And it's the same with our teenagers. It's yeah. Same with our young adults, you know, like our son is 16, he's taller than I am, he looks like a man, mm. but he's not a man. Yeah. And so if he's having an emotional reaction, no point trying to rationalize with him. You got to wait for that to settle yeah. before you can have the conversation. Talk less, listen more. Um, empathetic listening, don't shut them down, don't shame them, don't overreact. Mm. Um, I think they're really big ones. And in our family, we have five very big personalities. <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably the one I struggle with the most because I tend to go straight to an overreaction. Ask open-ended questions is another good one, I think, just to allow those conversations to, to flow. Love unconditionally. I think that goes back to that, you know, quote that I said about I always want my kids to feel like they can come to me. So mm -hmm. if they know that I love them unconditionally, even when they've stuffed up, yeah. then that opens that line up for mm -hmm. open communication. Um, and the other big one is to pray. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Um, to pray for your kids, pray with your kids, pray for your partner, <laughs> pray with your partner, pray as a family. Um, I honestly believe the, the prayer of a mother mm. is so powerful. There have been times when I have called out in prayer to God and just gone, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know what to do anymore. This is your child. You need to, I need you to come in and help me sort this out. Yeah. And that prayer I think is is so important. I, I love your point about silence because one of my weaknesses, I think, is I I tend to um, in those awkward conversation spaces with my own children, I tend to fill the space. I, I just keep wanting. It's my nervous way of, uh, you know, I, ju I just repeat myself often too, rather than just being okay with putting an idea idea mm. out there, telling a truth, and then just letting the silence hang and seeing what comes off the back of it. Yeah, that's right. Yes. And I think as parents, we need to be like another little analogy I have is like the duck on the pond. Like on the surface, they look like they're just cool and calm and chill, but underneath their feet are going 10 to the dozen. <laughs> um, and I think sometimes it's like that being a parent. It's like, let's try and be cool, try and be calm, <laughs> smiling, everything's fine. But inside you're kind of going, oh, my goodness, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to manage this? What is going on? <laughs> um, it feels to me too, Nikki, like that uh, there's a certain sense in which 
uh, you need almost like a, a, a supervision or a follow-up, a willingness to have follow-up conversations because it's not just one conversation, Absolutely. right? It's not like, oh, I had a conversation when you were 14 or 16 and now I'm done because yeah. in a matter of six months or even less, yeah. you could very easily fall off the rails and you need your mum and dad there to, to have another conversation, right? Yeah, it is. It's all about the regular check-ins mm. uh, on every topic, you know, like, and I said teenagers, they just grow so quickly and they go through so many different phases and it can be a little bit, you know, tricky to navigate. So those regular check-ins, um, you know, like you could say, oh, you remember we were talking about this a couple of months ago. What are you thinking about that now? Yeah. Yeah. And I think with going back to the puberty conversation, again, their bodies change so quickly that you do need to be checking in regularly because mm. You know, as a mum and as um, a sex educator, like I was like, yep, here's the puberty talk. I've done it. Here's all the information. <laughs> um, and then when they actually get their period, they're like, oh, so now what do I do? Oh, yeah. so, you know, so you think that you've given them the information, but quite often when you have those conversations, there's so much for them yeah. to take in that it is that regular going back to check in. Yeah. Um, and even around sex, you know, like, what you tell them when they're 12 and they're learning about puberty and they're learning about how babies are made and all that kind of stuff, what they know and understand then um, compared to what they want to know and understand when they're 14, 16, 18, mm -hmm. you know, we can't just assume that they know um, because what they know they've probably gotten from their friends, yep. from pornography, from online websites. Mm -hmm. So it is that checking in to clarify to fix, I guess, any misinformation that they might have because yeah. teenagers think they know everything about a lot <laughs> of them. Really, it's a bit hit and miss. Yeah, that's so true. I remember our daughter, Lucy, she's 16 now, but when she was maybe 10 or 11, like we might have done one kind of intro session to kind of the whole puberty, just the beginning stuff, and she came home and she said to me, oh, this girl in year eight that she was sort of friends with, she asked me today, oh, do you know about this stuff? Like, they must have been talking about it in their friendship group. And she said, I said, well, what did you say to her? And she said, I just said, I know everything I need to know for now. And I thought that was so wise at 11. <laughs> I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. So she's always been quite good, even though she doesn't actually really like those awkward conversations. <laughs> no. <laughs> she's always been quite good at sort of reaching out when she needed to know something, whereas I think some kids won't ask at all. No. So, yeah, it's finding that balance of... It is finding a yeah. balance. Um, I also err away from giving kids a book. I think if you if you give them a book and walk away and leave them yeah. to work it out, then, you know, yeah. you just... A, I, I have not yet found a book that gives this information in a way that I want it to give the information. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, and it... It also removes the sense that this is all about relationships because mm. ultimately puberty and our sexuality is all about relationships. Yeah. So if we're like, here's a book, um, yeah, I think it takes that away Yeah, I as agree. well. Even the best of books, right, it, it still feels like just a rerun of that same tired old complaint, oh, my mum and dad sent me to the zoo come breeding season and told me to figure it out for myself. It's yeah. you now the book might be technically correct, but it still feels like we're opting out mm. of our obligations and our love for our children's parents. That's right. Mm. Yeah. How important do you think it is for us as parents to be honest with our kids? Like for example, speaking about our own past mistakes when we were growing up? Oh man, this is so <laughs> tricky. 
this is such a tricky space um, to be in. I think, you know, as someone who hasn't lived the life that I probably want my kids to live, mm. wasn't overly a bad teenager, have, or haven't done anything, you know, really scandalous. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, it does almost feel like, oh, well, you did it, so yeah. I'm allowed to do it. But that's where the conversation, the backup conversation comes from of, well, this is what I did and this is what I learnt mm. and I don't want this for you for these reasons. Yeah. Um, and I think it's not just about telling our stories because sometimes our kids hear our stories but what it was that we learnt from those stories yeah. and what it is we want for them that's different or better. Yeah. I guess the tendency is you could overshare, right, and that could be if the right. child's not ready for that or there's no context. It just would mm. seem like a big shocking letdown. Oh, my mum or da- my dad, they're no longer this great and glamorous person they look up to, you know, and, and you'd have this disastrous sort of effect in a relationship if they're not ready for yeah, it. Yeah, I think you've got to pick your timings, um, mm. particularly around some of those hot topics, you know, like around sex, drugs, alcohol, mm. um all those, I think picking your time is pretty important. And mm. I would suggest that, you know, when they're in the thick of trying to work out who they are as, as mm. a person and what they believe may not be the time to give them all of that information. So I'm thinking, you know, your 13, 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds probably don't need to know that you were going out every weekend drinking and hooking up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, once they're a little bit older and settled down and got a bit more maturity, mm. um, I think you can have some of those conversations. Again, maybe don't give them all the details. <laughs> no, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, talk to them about, well, this is what I did and it wasn't great. That, that was always, That's always been the testimony trap too, hasn't it, where you can end up glamorising mm. the Just very the, thing that, yeah, yeah, that you're trying to help them to avoid a particular evil and you just end up glamorising it rather yeah. than them getting the key point about yeah. you moving away from that. Yeah, which is don't do what I did. (laughs) (laughs) But also the flip side of that is if they do do what you did, then you need to help them navigate. I think our kids aren't going to be perfect. Our kids are going to do things that Mm. we don't want them to do because Mm. they're teenagers and they're hardwired to take risks and they're hardwired to push the limits and they're hardwired to go and find fun. Mm. Um, So it's not about then crucifying them for the things that they've done, but about helping them navigate to get back on the right track and Mm. to set their vision for what they're going to do differently the next time. I've actually found that quite important and there's been some real breakthrough moments for me in my parenting where in those situations you're actually able to say, look, I know exactly what you're going through because mm. I've been through that. Or I know exactly what you're up to because I used to do that. And they're almost like, what? How do you know my secrets? And it, it's yeah. at the, in that moment, you're right, when something's gone wrong for them, that's a really important thing to be able to help them on that journey, right? Yeah, and I, I just don't think, you know, they need to be berated because they quite often know. They're, mm. they're, they're beating themselves up, you know. Yeah. So it's our job to kind of support them through that and 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 say, yes, that was not great. <laughs> um, and what have we learned and how are we moving forward? Nikki, it has been awesome to be able to have this conversation with you, a real blessing and a privilege. And one of the things I'm reminded of just to, to sort of, I guess, to wrap things up is that 
once again, and this came very strongly through at the very beginning of your conversation, what you were saying is um, parenting is not a technique or a series of techniques. It is a relationship and it's it's a very different thing to a project with a, a set of you know techniques that you apply. And that relationship is absolutely essential to all of this, right? And that relationship will continue until the day you die. Like don't think just because your kids are growing up and gone out into the world that you stop being a parent. Like mm. being a parent is the hardest thing that you'll ever do. Um, and it doesn't have an end. You know, you're <laughs> always going to be their parent, yeah. always. Um, so I think, yeah, that's probably really important. And it is about relationship and it's about communication. They're probably my two big things, communication, relationship. And remembering, I think this is the trap I get caught in sometimes is I look at other people and I go, wow, they're great parents. They've got everything sorted out. Their kids are wonderful. Their kids have got it sorted. <laughs> uh, but we just don't know what goes on behind closed doors. And That's I right. always say no one is going to parent your kids the way that you are going to. You are the best parent for your child because you know them better than anyone else. You created them. You're in their space all the time. Um, and so not to get caught up in that comparison mm. Um don't compare yourself to other families and um, other kids because I think that can be a real trap. That's why I always say, you know, do your research, um, take in lots of different people's opinions and then work it out for yourself. Go with your gut, go with what you know about yourself and your kids um, and that's probably the best way to go about it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nikki. It's been really great to chat with you about this today. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Nikki, for taking the time. It's been uh, an absolutely awesome conversation. And I know for our listeners, there'll be some really good meat for them to chew over and all that. So thank you. Yeah, no worries. My pleasure. Alrighty, folks, we really hope you enjoyed having that conversation as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. My wife, Katie, is laughing as we record this outro because she says I've got alrighty, folks, hands. It's true. I've got jazz hands that go flying up. Special jazz hands. Every time I say alrighty, folks. (laughs) So there you are. Our Christmas gift to you that you cannot see. The alrighty, folks, spirit jazz hands. Put a photo up in the the show notes (laughs) of Brennan doing his alrighty, folks. Uh, So, yeah, Katie, that was a great conversation, eh? Absolutely. Yeah, really, really important too. So uh, don't forget, don't put off those important conversations, the controversial stuff, the challenging stuff, the things that really matter. It's probably why they are so challenging, but it's mm, important to have those right. conversations. There's really not much left to say, is there, um, apart from don't forget if you've got questions, leave them at lifenet.org.nz. If you would like to support our ministry work and these episodes, you can also do that at lifenet.org.nz. Click on the Donate button. And if you're a Kiwi and you're donating from New Zealand, you can claim back your donations on your annual tax return each year. Last but not least, don't forget about theforge.org.nz. Go there right now. Hit pause if you need to. Go away. Open a browser. Click on theforge.org.nz and leave your email address. The fires will be lit. It's not as threatening as Brendan's making it. Yeah, it says, go there right now. I command you. It doesn't work with my kids either. Um, so, yeah, Katie, shall we say well, we, we're not going to end with a Christmas song. We're going to end with an Advent song this episode. We never end with a Christmas song. It's quite a rule in our house. There will be no violation of the That's Christmas. Right. Unless it's Snoopy's Christmas. The Christmas carol ordinance. Or a fairy tale in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, we, we save our Christmas carols for Christmas Day. Uh, but we can say a Merry Christmas because we're not we gonna yeah. we're not gonna see you between now and, and a blessed Advent season. Yeah, have a great Advent, happy and holy New Year, 
a Merry Christmas. Don't forget the reason for the season. I know that's a bit of a trite thing to say, maybe, or it sounds trite, but it really is true. And uh, don't forget to take the time to be with family and to actually celebrate and participate in this great festival, this important Christian festival. Other than that, yeah, we'll see you uh, next year on The Little Flock. Looking forward to it. The Little Flock is a joint production of the LifeNet Charitable Trust and Left Foot Media. If you enjoyed this show, then please help us to ensure that more of this great content keeps getting made by becoming a patron of the show at patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. Thanks for listening. See you next time on The Little Flock.